0: Welcome to the CEO story brought to you by Casey Chohan, founder of Together CFO, where every week we're interviewing the top CEOs in various industries, sharing their journey and extracting the top things that made them successful. Good morning and welcome to the CEO podcast. We've got George Abi Habib today, the owner of Remodel Works Bath and Kitchen. George, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. So excited to share your story with everyone. How are you doing?
1: Pretty good. Thanks for having me this morning.
0: George, let's just start where we are right now. So tell us a little bit about the current business, and then we can backtrack into how you got there.
1: Sure. Um, So Remodel Works is a home servicing company. We focus on kitchens and bathrooms. We also do home additions, and um, we do about 300 projects a year, um, and that keeps us pretty busy. Typically in normal times, we're a team of just under 50, um, doing about 10 and a half million a year in, um, in sales. And um, I actually am the new owner. I purchased it three years ago, but it, it's a business that's been running for 35 years. So it has a very strong culture and um, you know, a good brand name.
0: That's fantastic. So we'll get into how you buy a business and then grow sure. a successful business even better. But first, let's kind of dig into your background. You know, when we first met and we looked over your history, it was just fantastic, very international, lots of cultures and diversity there. So can we just kind of rewind the clock back to, let's just say, your university day slash starting into the working world and and how that was shaped?
1: Sure. So I went to university in Boston in Northeastern, which was good because it was quite an international city uh, or it, internationals from a student perspective. Um, and Northeastern was unique cause it had a co-op program. And I think what was good about that was I did one of my co-ops in Boston at a venture capital firm. Um, I did one with Pepsi in Dubai and I did one with a friend's shipping company in Vancouver. So, so I was able to use that university experience to immediately get a little bit of, um, experience, work experience, and on top of it, give me a little bit of international exposure, which having grown up with so much of that, I realized I quite liked and wanted to take my career internationally. So after I graduated, I immediately went to Dubai and I started working for Showtime, which is a satellite TV provider over there, now called OSN. And um, it was a great place to start out a career because it was a fun job, but it was also good from a marketing perspective. And I also worked for a telecom there, which was kind of nice because it was interesting to work for a company that didn't seem to care about how much money you spent on anything. So So
0: why Dubai? What initially attracted you out to the Middle East and Dubai specifically?
1: Well, having had worked out there once, I kind of saw that it was a city on the rise. And I thought, you know, this is interesting. It's a new place. Um, It was a tax-free environment at the time too, which was kind of good for someone coming out of, Um, university with some student debt on hand. So it was a good way to immediately start focusing on getting that thought out of my life. And then um, it was also, I had some friends that were there. I felt like I did have an interesting base and, you know, I had kind of New York or Dubai to choose from. And I thought I would take a shot on something where it would, you know, I could potentially accelerate a little faster.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. So so then, you know, Dubai's grown obviously tremendously since you were initially there um, and still continues to grow now. They've got so many new projects on every time I seem to read the news, but fantastic. So then let's move it along from there. So you're in Dubai. It was working really well. Great international experience because that's a big move, right? Especially for a a recent graduate just to move internationally 18 hours, well, maybe not 18, probably 12 hours, 15 hours from where you were in Boston. And how was it settling in there? Because the culture is completely different to the East Coast. Um, I mean,
1: I I moved, my, my life has been constantly moving. I grew up uh, with a family. I think I've never lived anywhere for more than four to five years, generally. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm one of the things I'm really good at is just picking up and moving. I'm good at change. And so Dubai was a very easy kind of walk in, but I went there knowing that I wanted to stay for only four or five years before I went and did an MBA program. And then making that my focus, I went to IE business school in Madrid, um, just as the financial crisis was kind of taking hold and people were leaving their Porsches at the airport and and uh, just trying to flee Dubai with the debt loads that they had racked up.
0: Yeah, there's lo- lots of stories of that, of, ex- of exotic car scrapyards, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, so then, that that's very interesting. So then, what made you want to, like, you seem to have this vision of doing business school for a while. What were the benefits of doing that, and then specifically in Madrid? Obviously, such a beautiful city, but mm-hmm. why Madrid? Why MBA?
1: So, um... I had a colleague that had gone to IE business school and he really recommended it. And, um, so that was my first kind of, um, window into the fact that the school existed. It was kind of new, it was up and coming, it was well ranked. Um, it was also a one year program and I'd always wanted to go to business school because I kind of figured that you don't really learn that much in undergrad anymore. Um, you know, undergrad is kind of just an expensive playground, and you you leave it with a lot of exposure, but not very many hard skills. I would say. I don't think that's changed even in modern times. I think it's gotten worse, actually. So it's a it's a worse investment than it used to be.
0: Uh, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And for those people who don't know, I was ranked number three in Europe and number six in the world. So. It's very highly uh, acclaimed amongst the business schools. So, okay. So then you kind of became more business savvy, learned everything that MBA school does in a pretty short time. So that's a condensed time period, doing it in one year. Um, and then you went into the real world and how did that then work out?
1: So I, um, I think I went into the MBA thinking I was like an ideas guy and I was going to come up with an idea and start a business and what i realized was i was actually better at um helping other people get their ideas going um so i graduated and i moved back from madrid to lebanon which i hadn't lived in for you know 10 years maybe and um it was a good place to just have comfortable roots cuz it's it is home at the end of the day um but it was also a good place for me to n- know owners Kind of throughout the region, so I kind of um, was interviewing about five of them, trying to understand their ideas and take them forward. And I whittled it down to one of them, who uh, his name is Scott Shady, and he's my current business partner in the first company that we started, which was Sayara International. And we didn't start the company; it was also an acquisition. Um, but it was a you know it was a complicated thing to do for two people who'd never done that before, and a set of buyers who had. Never sold a company before. So I really had to dig in on figuring out how to close this deal quickly.
0: So, yeah, so let's dig into that because that, that's pretty interesting. I think uh, there's a lot that can be learned from that. So, here's you and a friend buying a company that you don't, it's the first one that you buy in from sellers the first time they're selling. Everything's very new and very fresh. You're just out of business school. How did it all work? How did you kind of plug all these pieces together and make it work?
1: So he wasn't even my friend at the time. He was a friend of my sister's and my sister was working at the time for the Wall Street Journal in Afghanistan. He also was living in Afghanistan working for a a much larger company that we do work for. And um, he, we had a telephone, like a video conference. Um, We talked a little bit about the opportunity. I made a few Excel sheets to look at what it's, you know, what the opportunity was he saw value in the fact that I could you know, uh, create models for what the opportunity would look like from a financial basis and said, why don't you fly over here? So I kind of jumped on a flight a week or two later, and um, we met in, at Kabul, Afghanistan for the first time. I met the potential sellers, um, and although they gave us quite a bit of headache, about nine months later, we were able to just close the deal and say, okay, let's start. And we had acquired essentially a 45 person company that did government contracting in Afghanistan only. Now we're in 13 countries um, and we're working for, you know, multiple organizations and we've grown our organization quite a bit together.
0: That's that's a very complex and fascinating way to put it. I think uh, there's many levels of which we can keep digging into that, but we'll move on because that's not the only successful story you've had. Um, how did you then transition from Kabul into the next company?
1: Um, into the next country company? Oh, company. Well, there were a few little companies along the way. Uh, Scott and I tried to start a, a tough mudding business that was mixed with CrossFit, and you know, we we launched that one, and it basically was a small investment that we ended up selling to somebody else. Um, I personally tried a few ventures, uh, one with a student of mine at IE trying to set up a um, an appointment booking app in Africa. Um, she and I parted ways that didn't really work out, um, you know. So I kept trying little things, but eventually um, Scott, who grew up in San Diego, introduced me to... Um, an old high school buddy of his whose father was trying to sell his business, which is remodel works. And I think with that, I started again, diving into what I really enjoy, which was this, um, okay, we have an opportunity. We need to quantify it. We need to figure out the roadmap to completing this acquisition. And what are all the steps that are needed? And this acquisition went much faster. I basically also flew out to San Diego, met the owner, flew back to Lebanon Spent a few weeks kind of reading about international tax law and how to take debt from one part of the world and transfer it to another part of the world and then kind of be able to retrieve it without being, um, you know, in the most efficient way possible. And I think in about three or four months, we were able to close that deal, which um, is a anomaly. Even the lawyers that were sitting at the table said, this never happens that quickly. But it was due in part to having a motivated seller who was also uh, quite reasonable.
0: Yeah, I think you know if, if, you're, if you're buying from baby boomers that just kind of want to retire and don't have any succession planning in place, it's you're relieving them of a, of a lifelong headache that they've built and not being able to pass on to someone. So, And you're a motivated buyer, so it's a win-win in that case. But let's just rewind a little bit and add context to the fact that you – you did start other things and ventures didn't quite go the way you wanted, but you didn't give up. Right. So it's not always been rosy. home run, home run, home run bumps along the way. And during those times, what advice would you give to the listeners in terms of uh, persevering and sticking to it and kind of pushing through uh, as opposed to giving up?
1: Um, I think there's a few quotes that always kind of come to mind. Um, and I think one is probably one that people have heard quite a bit, um, but I think in conjunction with the second one, I'll say um, kind of makes more sense. The first one is this Winston Churchill quote, which I've always loved. It's, you know, success is not final and failure is not fatal. It's the, it's the desire to persevere that that counts and something like that. Um, but then the second one is, A lot of people and it's not really a quote It's that a lot of people say, you know, life is short and it's like actually it's not life is long and you need to realize that whatever personal or professional um, failures you have, they are going to pass. And you need to realize that you've got a long part of the journey that you need to still complete. So this is just a portion of it. And I think having that kind of view in mind when you're faced with either a personal or professional failure is a great way to think okay let me sulk let me lick my wounds for a little bit but then let me get back to the drawing board and figure out what the way out of this is
0: yeah i think i agree with everything that you just said it makes a lot of sense there has to be a little bit of period where you kind of regroup refocus sort your mind out and then go at it again so let's kind of spend a little time talking about remodel works and how you really managed to pull that off in such a short space of time, that acquisition, and then also reconnect with your old co-founder to do that. So can you just dig into more detail around that and, and actually the nuts and bolts of what made that so successful? And Like you said, in such a short space of time, which is, Pretty unheard of from from everything that we've dealt with on a mergers and acquisition side. So I wish I could
1: share like CEO secrets with you, but I don't think I have any on this one. I think the only secret that I have is, and I think it's true for many of the successes that anybody has, um, and maybe they're you know they want to claim some kind of ownership over the success, but I'm much more of the kind of guy that will say actually, if you focus on some of the macro trends and you can catch that, um, that wind, it's a much stronger indication of your ability to be successful at something. Um, you, know, if, you know, and that would be this true for any hugely successful person. Uh, you know, Bill Gates down to the guy on the, the corner shop who realized that he's, you know, selling a unique product that everybody wants. Um, so the the big macro trend that I was riding here is, is that we do have a generation of baby boomers. They've built very successful businesses. They've been through multiple downturns in the last you know 20 years. Um, you know, between the dot com crisis, the financial crisis, and then the last decade, and now we're entering into this third crisis, which is um, you know just making people that are in their 60s and 70s you know, or even earlier in their fifties saying, I just can't do this anymore. And I would love to offload this responsibility to somebody who can take it down the next 20 years and pass that torch. And so really what I found in remodel works was a company that had a very successful history, a strong corporate culture, a very, um, you know, predict semi predictable, uh, revenue, Stream on a yearly basis um, and the ability to weather those downturns that have happened. So, those having all of those check marks ticked off for me made me a very motivated buyer as well. So, if you get a motivated buyer and a motivated seller in the same room, like good things are going to happen quickly. And that was, um, and that's exactly what I'm trying to replicate right now doing another version of remodel works with another baby boomer who would like to sell his business.
0: So let's talk about that in terms of the next five to 10 years, what do you see yourself doing and kind of morphing into and what's next for you?
1: So I had actually turned in a term sheet for an acquisition on the Thursday that the market hit 18,000 on the S&P. And, um, it, uh, and I turned it in specifically saying to the guy, It's probably not going to happen this quickly, but I told you I would have it on Thursday. So here it is because I want to, like, you know, stick to my my word.
0: There's a lot Uh, to be said for sticking to your word. You know, a lot of the times with the companies that we work with, uh, the standout CEOs or the owners of the businesses are very much men and women of their word. And if they say they're going to do something, they do, regardless of, like you said, the craziness that's going on in the world right now. But there's a lot to be said about that.
1: And he he acknowledged that in his email. I said, you know, thank you for this. I didn't quite expect to receive it. So immediately I have built that goodwill with this one target acquisition and been very upfront and transparent saying, I need to ride this out a little bit and see where we're going. Um, and I'm very confident if I do decide to make that acquisition, I can probably make it happen Potentially just as fast as the remodel works acquisition happened, um, but the longer term and the maybe the bigger picture goal is is that I'm I'm looking for companies that have good incumbent management. Um, they need a little bit of a fresh engine from a um, you know investment and um, you know even generational. Um, kind of tweak, just add a little bit more marketing, add a little bit more in IT, um, just to get those companies that have have functioned very well on a tried and proven system, but without changing that formula, just adding a little bit of hot sauce onto it, so to speak.
0: Fantastic, and then is the next company uh, in the same arena or same vertical, or are you trying something completely new once again?
1: it's It is similar, but it's not a s it's not something that our company does in house so it's in the home services sector um which I think is a good thing because it would help generate some economies of scale from a you know scheduling department point of view from a advertising point of view from a um kind of across cross customer database um you know finding finding potential clients between both databases of customers. So I think there's a lot of synergies there.
0: Fantastic. So George, as we wrap up, I like to ask this question at the end. So how much of your success would you attribute between these three luck, skill and drive?
1: I think luck, if any CEO doesn't say plays a huge role um, is maybe suffers from a little bit of narcissism. Um, luck is a huge thing. Um, and I, I have been very lucky, um, to, you know, have the family that I have. Um, my sister introduced me to my business partner who got me on this path. Like that's as lucky as you can get as far as the odds that these things happen. Um, as far as drive goes, I think it's a very important one. Sorry, you had drive and motivation.
0: Uh, yeah it was luck, skill and drive
1: ah okay skills
0: so, ability you know
1: yeah, so my skills they are they were refined much later in life, and I was never a very good never great at school, so I never counted on my skills, but I think my soft skills with people always came in very handy um And during the MBA, I was able to sharpen those up with certain things like creating financial models. I wish I had learned that earlier in life. Um, But if I were to give a a cross the board analysis of it, I would say luck is probably 50% of anybody's success. Um, And then I'll divide the other two between um, five each.
0: Fantastic. You know, I like asking that question because I always get different answers and perspectives. And I think I agree with you. I think a lot of a lot of it is down to luck, and even as I look at my own journey, that came from England, ended up in Beverly Hills, and it's like it—I was no way in the world ever able to do that without a few key things happening, mm-hmm. uh, and it's down to relationships and people, and you need that rub of the green.
1: And then it comes back to that other quote that's great, which is you know, I think it's like fortune favors the prepared. So being lucky is great, and but, you know, as many people say, I'd rather be lucky than smart. But if you can just be a little bit smart for when that opportunity shows up, then you've got a winning combination.
0: Yeah, I think it's taking the action and kind of seizing the moment when it happens, whenever that moment is, because sometimes it's not clear when that will arise, but being smart enough to capitalize on it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Great, George. I think you've shared some great nuggets and inspired a lot of people to, one, be able to find a really decent co-founder, move around internationally, try new things, and then acquire and take over some businesses. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, thank you.